0: The sucker's
1: going
2: up Welcome to the Playing footsie show. I'm here with Paul and I'm here with Steve D, and we've got some loads of stuff about earnings and ICEs and dividends and buybacks. All the fun stuff that you like listening to this show for. But first of all, and more importantly, how are you both and how has either of your week been? go Paul? See, I don't oh, do it and I'm, no one I'm... knows what they're doing.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm a little bit I'm a little bit sick actually. I'm feeling quite under the weather. I think I'm just uh... We, we've been dealing with a lot of different stuff this week. So personally, I'm feeling a little bit low, but hoping that that gets better over the week stocks. though, mate. Wow. How's it been going for everyone? I think first time I've seen green in about six months, something like that. And currently 1.58% up. And I reckon I could hit 60 odd grand by the end of the week. If it keeps going this way, which is incredible. All I need is another couple of percent and, or, oh, a percent and a half and I'll be on uh sixty grand, which is going very, very well. Um yeah, I think just in general, some of my local stocks or the recent stocks that I've been buying have done really well. And I've got three stocks now which have passed a big milestone for me. Uh five grand in alphabet ASML, which I'm sure we're gonna talk about later and um KLA is just pushing that at the moment 4877 earnings on tonight and I'm sure I'm going to be looking out for them in a little bit so uh, yeah going pretty well at the moment but I'm a bit fearful do we think this is all going to come crashing down like mid midway through the year in case there's a recession or something like that what do you think
2: yeah probably um do you still have money on the <laughs> sidelines paul nothing Nothing. nothing. At all, no. Amazing. So you got yourself in for this nothing. nice little run that we've been enjoying so far. Oh yeah, like I couldn't have timed it better. But
0: um <laughs> it's 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 uh, you can say that now, can't you? But six months, I reckon this is all going to collapse. It's, there's nothing. There's nothing. Doesn't feel like there's anything there to support it. Jobs are starting to go now from industry. Uh, 3M started to cut. But I did notice that the defense stocks, aerospace stocks are still taking on, which uh, which is very good. Um, It's it's all a bit wishy-washy yet, and I think the uncertainty is going to cause problems. Um, Loads and loads of cuts from the big tech, and uh, who knows where it's going to go. But yeah, for now, at least I've given myself a little cushion uh, in case there's a bit more of a dip or a pullback coming later.
1: One of my stocks is, uh, is, uh, is been very interesting for me to watch, especially as it's in sort of the tech and payment sector. All these people letting go of, uh, of staff and Google letting go of some pretty long standing stuff and all the way through the, uh, Pandemic. Adyen said, "Look, this this tech sector, these tech hires are so competitive. We're just going to be calm and reasonable about our hiring." But they've got to a point now where they actually need to do some hiring, and the landscape is nowhere near as competitive as it was. So, interesting Mm. to see what Adyen pick out of this, and and whether they come out of this smelling of roses. But same as you, Paul, stocks have been pretty incredible for me. I'm just looking over the last month now, and my portfolio is up about thirteen point seven seven four and a half percent of that has come in the last uh, five days, five trading days, so that's really positive. Uh, I filled my ISA today. This is the full 20k is in. I nearly lasted a full year. I did say I'd try and spread it out, but um i haven't managed that and i have spent the money that i put in already i only put it in at 4 o'clock and it's already gone i bought more four corners property trust i bought more nintendo and i've queued an order up for uh, idp6 which is the small cap index i talked about earlier uh, got a bit more news for everybody at home, though. Uh, we were all um, kitted out with some nice trading two-one-two clubber. Um, me, Sold Steve out. W. Yeah, me, <laughs> Steve W. And uh, Paul's wife, uh, Paul's <laughs> missus, even not wife, uh, who's been who's been wearing all of the gear. Um, mine, unfortunately, was a bit ambitious. I think I ordered it uh, in a. Uh, so slightly uh, ambitious size. Uh, it's uh, it's a bit of a skinny fit, but uh, <laughs> it's something to aim for. <laughs> and my last bit of news for you, Paul, is I'm going on your favourite UK podcast, or I am in line to go on your favourite UK podcast for an interview. UK? I will be uh, at some point on the Investor Way over the next ah, couple of I months. Thought it might be that. So, I thought it was
0: going to uh, be our the... European dividend guy. It was going to be one of them too, are you told. Yeah, me. Ooh, I, you something. know, I follow
1: him on Twitter, but we've never actually spoken to each other. So maybe, maybe I should do a little tour. But that's They're my news. True, yeah. yeah, that's my news. Steve, uh, you got spoiling.
0: anything? Hold oh, no, on. No. Yeah, just to step in here, um, the trading two one two free stuff thing is just for it, it's it's sent to a lot of people. It's not just us three. I think there's a lot of people online who will be receiving similar gifts. And in particular, I think this gift is it's given out like every year, at Christmas to People who are very active on the community forum and helping the social media stuff, which we all do quite a lot. So I think that's why they give it to us. We're, we haven't exactly sold sold out, but we do keep kind of say nice things a lot of the time about training tour too. So I guess that, that helps. But uh, yeah, we haven't sold out. Is it? Is it
1: should I be? Steve, uh, speaking of selling out, you're wearing a Trading 212 t-shirt. How's I- your week been?
2: <laughs> I am. I've had a very good week. I've acquired a Trading 212 t-shirt. I think I'm the person here that writes the least on that forum, I and I'm the only one that can currently wear my Trading 2 t- sh- 212 t-shirt. Uh, but I also acquired this um, notebook thing here, which everyone else got. Very nice bit of kit. And a coat, which I will attempt to take a picture of myself in tomorrow, so Steve can edit it into the podcast about now. Uh <laughs> In general it's been an interesting week. Uh, it's a nice time of the year for me because uh, indoor training starts at cricket now so we get ready for sort of pre-season stuff to kick off in April except we realised that there was a double booking on our hall, and it was basically our fault so indoor training became outdoor training in minus two degrees and that's quite that's quite harsh outdoor cricket in that sort of uh, environment. There is a reason it's a summer sport that we don't play in the rain and the fog and the cold and stuff like that. But I'm still here. I'm coughing quite a lot, which is entirely unrelated to the fact that I was out in um, a t-shirt on Saturday running around in minus two or three or so uh, degrees. And like you, the stock market's been treating me quite nicely. Things have gone up reasonably well. I'm trying to get money into the into stuff at the moment, which is not always the easiest when things I've been looking at for sort of most of the month are now significantly higher than they were before but then i can just look back at my isa where i've filled things up and see some nice big numbers like minus 27 and think oh it's it's not as bad as i perhaps thought it looks when i look at my more recent stuff that i've been buying
0: are you still in colgate or were you ever in colgate Nope. No. Okay. Well, they're they're interesting earnings after hours. I want to see that because that's a bit of a staple, isn't it? Um, mm. Ah, very. Yeah. Very interesting week. Right. So this week we've got lots to talk about. Uh, earnings season. Some of the biggest stocks that we've got on the list, and Steve's got a bit about ISAs, and oh, I mean, there's all sorts to talk about here, isn't there? What do you want to go with first?
1: ISA first.
2: Yeah. Okay, I'll kick us off then on ISAs. And it's bad news for friend of the show, ISA Investor. At least, it could be bad news for friend of the show, ISA Investor. A think tank called the Resolution Foundation has made a proposal that's been getting a lot of coverage on YouTube and on Twitter and on Discord. Um, And I was looking at this earlier today, and I thought perhaps the coverage I'd seen had been a little bit patchy, so as usual I felt the need to start talking about it. But here's what the Resolution Foundation have said. To be clear, they're not the government, they don't have any obvious influence over the government. Their job is to think of things, propose things, make their case for those things, and then see what politicians think of them from whichever party. So... The Resolution Foundation are interested in this thing called Help to Save, and that's not very popular with YouTubers in the sense they don't talk about it very much, probably because most of them have never heard of it. The reason for that is you only qualify for the scheme called Help to Save if you are earning working tax credits or on universal credit or something along those lines. So that's not typically the position of most people who are in a position to be making or watching with any interest uh investment videos or personal finance videos or stocks and stock market videos or anything like that so you don't hear too much about this but help to save basically is there to encourage lower earners and probably the lowest earners in the uk to try and save and what happens is they open an account and they can pay in up to 50 pounds a month if they are able And for every pound they pay in, they get 50p from the government as a boost. That comes after, I think, the second year and after the fourth year. After the fourth year, the account closes into a different current account. That's roughly the shape of this. And the Resolution Foundation picked up that this is quite poorly taken up. There's high satisfaction rates with it, but very low take up amongst the eligible people. And they think this would like to be uh, something that they use more effectively. Um, so what they want to do is expand this by auto enrolling people so they don't have to go and figure out how to sign up for it and double their monthly allowance to £100. That's expensive then. So it means more government money gets used for what we might loosely call bonuses uh, on this. And the way they plan to pay for that is by adjusting the tax free allowances on ISAs, or the way they propose that government should pay for that is by adjusting the tax free ISIS uh, allowance. So rather than what we get at the moment, which is 20,000 allowance per year on deposits, they propose to make it. The number I'm hearing at is capped at 100,000 per annum. I don't know. uh, It's 100,000, sorry, in total forever, not per annum. Uh, I don't know whether that means your balance isn't allowed to go over that or whether that's the maximum deposit you're allowed. I assume it's deposits because those of us who have them in stocks and shares, ISAs might be. If we put in 100,000, we might be over on the second day and under on the third day and back up again on the fourth day and so on. And that would be basically impossible to manage. But they estimate this would raise around a billion a year. Uh, Why do they want to do this? Well, mostly because they say it's the rich that benefit from ISAs, and by that they mean the top 10% rich. So they think sort of £3 in every 10 that goes into an ISA comes from the top 10%, and about 41% of the tax revenue that is quote-unquote lost uh, by having things in protected wrappers like ISAs comes from that top 10% again. Why 100,000 as a maximum? I have absolutely no idea. I didn't read the report carefully enough to tell you that. Um, Whether they think there's any idea that people might just leave the country and whether they think this would work in any interesting fashion, I don't know. But that's the shape of the proposal. And what I've been hearing quite a lot is a 100,000 pound tax, sorry, cap on ISIS and not much about the kind of background of why. And I thought that was kind of interesting. So I thought I would mention it here what do you think paul's making notes so steve go first
1: yeah well i mean the first thing i thought when i saw it was that it just seems like it's a lot of rubbish um it, it's basically trying to push a scheme that uh, evidently nobody wants to use maybe it's been badly publicised. Uh, publicized we, we could argue that but taking and this is the other thing that really irritates you is that um, the Resolution Foundation says on their website that they're here to help lower-income and middle-income families, uh, so lower and middle-class people, uh, to uh, to to get more out of the UK economy. And, and quite how sort of taking away one of the vehicles, the only vehicles we have really to uh, to make the the middle and lower class uh, more wealthy in a sort of tax advantaged way is uh, is kind of tricky for me. And and the money that you would save in um, you know that you would generate in in capping ISIS and starting to tax people again is just more headache for the tax office to chase down these taxes and and claim it. So it's not a net, it's not a net benefit in any way, shape or form. And the issue we've really got in Britain is that we've got a lot of people who have slipped onto the onto the sort of poverty line and your thoughts and thoughts and feelings on that probably depend on you know how you lean politically and whether you believe you know we should help people or shouldn't help people small state big state kind of thing but That's not going to be helped by pumping more money into help to save. These people, no matter which way you look at it, don't have the money to put into these schemes. So widening the scheme to give them a better bonus doesn't help them. Uh, And there are a number of people out there who think there are various ways to solve this. One of the things Rutger Bregman thinks is to just give people money because when people have more money, they have less strain on their... um, on their uh, mind, because as you'll know, if anybody who's ever been in any kind of debt or anything like that, the financial strain of thinking about it really takes away a lot of your brain power. Um, one of the ways you can ease that is by giving people more money. They have less stress on the brain. They make better decisions. Um, but it, it, it's it's that really, isn't it? I think that that's the problem I've got with it. It, it just feels like a crap idea. Uh, basically, uh, somebody in the Daily Mail said, "Why don't you guys come up with something really stupid, and we'll pass it off as if the Tories are going <laughs> to do it?" Which is how these headlines were worded. It fooled a lot of people into thinking that, and it still is fooling people Big into thinking picture that. Of Jeremy yeah, Hunt, right. That's all I've seen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's fooling people into thinking that this is something Jeremy Hunt has done. He's been edged to do it, but he's been edged to do it by some dudes who are on the on the severe left. Uh, of uh, of our sort of political debate at the moment. And they've got almost no chance of getting this through, I don't think. So go on, Apollo, I'll pass the mic over. So
0: uh, before he said I was taking notes, you've covered quite a bit of my first initial thoughts. This is the first time you, I've ever heard that... Uh spoke uh, I, I've seen the headline I just ignored it because it just kind of went until it happens I don't care I don't care about political I wrote down net benefit obviously was the thing that you were saying there uh, about like, how it's probably going to cost a lot more to track down these taxes ra- rather than what we get but I also had like just 20k of tax benefit per person in the UK really benefit the world taking that off the middle class, rather, and because you're saying it's the top ten percent. The top ten percent, they can, it is capped, right? So they can. It's one of the few tax benefits that they actually have capped. You know that they can. They can say, okay, that person has, you know, that household has forty k in benefit, uh, tax free benefit. That's what we know we're going to have. So the kind of the idea of this, and and again, the same thing some of the you were, uh, what you were saying there is that it shows out how out of touch with the psychology of saving money these people really are. This is some uh, I've written down here, someone arbitra- arbitrarily paid to do a stupid job and, they, you know, try and fix a problem which either doesn't exist or, you know, they've sat there, they've looked at two budgets and gone oh if we take away from that budget we can raise this budget and then we can sell it as like we're helping poor people but the thing is is the reason why poor people are not saving because they don't have access to 50 pound a month or or 100 pound a month it's not it's not that it's the it's the fact that if you're on the bottom line on benefits on tax credits the these days in in the uk you are not thinking about saving you are thinking about putting food in your children's mouth there's people on uh, you know they're talking about these food banks and things like that i don't see much of it personally but they're, they're saying more and more people are going to food banks so people are not going to have 50 pound a month so that means raising the threshold for it isn't going to change it and what it is is some person who is quite finance financially astute and quite good uh with their benefits and they say okay the reason why people aren't saving is because 50 pound a month isn't going to get them out of poverty and no it's unlikely to get them out of poverty the compounding there isn't isn't there but it's also 100 isn't either so there's something wrong there that they think that people aren't taking it up because the cap isn't big enough it's absolutely stupid and something's wrong there but what we're missing here is education right Education is people who are on the bottom line and statistically people who are on that you know bottom line with either a low paid job or no job at all. They're not necessarily and I feel quite bad saying something like this, but they're not necessarily going to have the education or the financial wherewithal to start compounding, to start building for their future and things. And, and that's the problem. That's that's where it should be uh coming in we should be having education in this rather than taking taking from the middle class to pay for the poor and you know creating more of a, uh, a middle class squeeze uh, it, it just doesn't work it's stupid you're right that, sorry
1: i think you're right In when you say it's stupid it's it's not that these people don't have the incentive to save money it's that they just don't have the ability so from that yeah. point off that the, the the plan is really really flawed but the other thing is that the saying that I, I don't, I haven't seen any data. There isn't an awful lot of data in that report that actually supports the claim that these millionaires are, you know, these big millionaires in Britain, which they think are taking us for a ride, are actually using an ice. And the reason for it is if you've got 500 million pound in the bank, you ain't shovelling 20 grand a year into an eye. So exactly. what, it's absolutely exactly. no point. Like you could fart 20 grand on a car, uh, uh, that exactly. kind of money. So that, that it it, just, there's no incentive just, that that is happening. Look, if you want to raise tax to pay for help to save, then go after non-DOM status. It'll raise a hell of a lot more money. And it's a probably a lot more politically, I think it's a lot more politically palatable tax to to apply on people but the thing is about isis is that and it's worth it is that this has already been taxed it's pre-taxed uh, as part of your income or whatever before it goes into an isa and when it comes out again you're not taxed on it but you're going to be taxed on the spending of it so it is a really a double taxed account you can't then keep mm-hmm. piling pressure on people you're just going to end up with a squeezed middle and the the you know the and a, and a poorer working class that just doesn't work. What we need to do is cut down wealth inequality in the UK. I think that's pretty much a universal policy. Mm. The rich have got too rich and the poor have got too poor. We need to we need to narrow that gap a little bit. But this isn't going to do it. This is going to make Socialist. it worse.
0: Socialista. No, it and no, I totally agree. Um I think it, ultimately though, I think this is something that's that I, so what bring this into perspective, right? And I'm sure someone else has already said this, but these there's a thousand of these think tank uh things that come out every single week and they don't make the headlines. This one's just made the headline. It's unlikely to see the light of day. This is just some <laughs> this is this is some this is the civil service equivalent of uh, a, a social media TikToker who's telling us about their day. They're sitting there doing fuck all in their job and they've, they're trying to justify their existence and they've decided to come up with this. This is what I would be making if I was in that job. So uh, I think um, that goes to say a lot, right? Uh, I think um, I, I don't think this is going to see the light of the day. And I think it's probably made some great YouTube videos for people and, and it's got a lot of views, but it's, it's absolutely pointless sorry yeah
2: i think (laughs) i feel broadly the same way i see ice as more as a useful vehicle for helping people to move upwards rather than a way of the top however many percent um enforcing their status at the top i'm very wary about being instructed to check my privilege again on this um and i'm Mm -hmm. very conscious about how it kind of looks me handing down uh, as i mentioned right the people who are use help-to-save schemes or are eligible for help-to-save schemes are almost certainly not watching this video, um, and I'm not about to try and hand down advice to them or anything like that. But I am... So I'm in favour of anything that helps that help-to-save scheme. I quite like the sound of it, Mm. for what it's worth. I am doubtful that trying to get it out of ISIS is the way to go, especially if, as the Resolution Foundation say, they want to try and redistribute it from the top uh, to the lower end of the income scale, I think what will happen is you'll move it out in the middle. And I think that for two reasons. One mm-hmm. that we've talked about a little bit, which is that I doubt very much that ISIS are the vehicle that um, people with 500 million are using to hide themselves from tax. Although it's possible there's significant amounts in there. I haven't done any research into that, so I'll take their word for it. The other is that I am concerned that the rich will just leave. I mean, not that he counts as the top 10% in society necessarily, at least not on a net worth basis. But Boss Hogg was saying in his video that he was joking that he would just leave uh, if someone decided to take away his ISA uh, allowance or or limit his ISA allowance in that way. Um, I don't think that would... I mean, I don't think I'd be able to convince anybody uh, that that I live with to come and leave with me in this situation. But honestly, I wouldn't blame anyone who thought they would in this situation if they thought, um, look, my plan was to try and build an ISA, use that to retire and support my um self-fire kind of tax-free savings that's now basically impossible capped at a hundred thousand uh i'm out of here i'm going somewhere that has lower tax rates i wouldn't blame anybody at all who thought that way i think i'm going to be unable to convince anyone to do it but uh do either of you think you'd have any more joy than me
0: uh it depends what the is is it going to be a cap on if it's a cap on let's say the deposits which i'm assuming mm-hmm. it is which means the capital appreciation I think it from is. it could go quite far right uh which you know take the charlie, charlie munger the first hundred thousand is the hardest you know and i've done a lot of my compound interest calculations based on dumping a hundred thousand pound in and that would be my what we call my coast fire so i wouldn't ever need to put any more in in theory um but so so i would absolutely be in i'd be taking advantage of as much um uh tax-free money as i possibly could but it, it certainly makes life a little bit harder and i'm and it makes more money if i can contribute more over over a longer period of time so uh, maybe maybe if they did i mean steve d would fill it straight away you know if um they had a uh, hundred percent a hundred grand cap with uh, no yearly limit. You just you just bung in a hundred grand and never think about it ever again, wouldn't you? Uh,
1: well, I don't have that much liquid cash <laughs> either. I think you think you think you've mistaken me with Scrooge McDuck. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I but broadly, I, I I agree, and I think um, I mean it was only this. I, I was telling Boss Hog that um, to have a look at Portugal, and uh, that was something that was basically this is an opportunity post. Post Brexit, now when we start to lose some of our key industries, and we've seen now our financial epicenter has become l- less less of a thing. We're seeing a lot mm. of you know a lot of move over to Frankfurt and what have you. And Paris is now the biggest stock exchange in the in the Europe area. So we will start to see some brain drain as these people, you know, obviously even things like visas expire and they go home. And this is a really good opportunity. If this was to come in for all of the countries around them to just offer some favorable tax positions and Portugal is doing that at the moment. They've got huge brain drain um, over the last sort of 10 years. And one of the things they're doing is I think it's zero income tax for 10 years, if you come over. So that is a hell of nothing, zero capital gains as well for a set period. It might, might be capital gains for 10, it might be income tax for five whatever it is anyway, they're really trying hard to get their people home and to bring some people with them. So Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a bad policy for, for broader UK. Even if you think there's a net benefit in helping help to save the actual wider picture is not so good.
0: Yeah. Very interesting. So let's move on to, um our next topic which i believe is earnings isn't it we've got some interesting earnings going on this week um it probably isn't any of the top ones we are definitely not going to talk about tesla well i might talk about tesla uh, very slightly during one of mine but um this week what, what do we want to talk about we got asml on the cards i think i've got microsoft and blackstone kind of ready i've done a couple of notes on it and uh, steve w what, what have you got this week
2: I haven't got an earnings report, but I was looking at Chevron's recent dividend hike. Oh
0: yeah, let's take, let's hear it.
2: Okay, uh, Chevron it is. So not an earnings report because Chevron has reported earnings this week, but it hasn't actually reported earnings yet. By which I mean it's the 26th of January, and I think they report tomorrow after morning. Mm. Oh, after the bell. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I
1: think it's after
2: the bell. Yeah. But in advance of which that, they have announced uh yeah it is as well um they've announced uh an increase in their dividend and a massive buyback thing uh that was overnight kind of wednesday night uk time so they uh, said they're going to buy back from april uh with no specified timeline for finishing this 75 billion of their own stock at the time they announced this they had a market cap of i think around 350 billion so about 20% of their outstanding stock at that stage and uh, they were hiking their dividend as well by around 6% per share. Uh, so a few things to think about here. That took them to, or it took them to, before today's movements. Uh, stock is obviously up a bit, about a 3.2% dividend yield. So it's not where it was during the kind of COVID times where people were saying, and I think correctly, either that dividend is getting cut, or this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity uh, in Chevron. And I think most people were leaning towards cut, and they would have been wrong, uh, I think, in that situation but chevron's an interesting kind of operation i was looking at it a bit today so i was trying to work out whether i'm i'm interested in this and what i think of buying back that much stock at that price do you have a reaction at all
0: i think i think their price is too inflated at the moment and i think Mm -hmm. uh, it's an ill-timed buyback but i couldn't tell you the details why but that's the first thought that goes through my head
1: uh, my my initial thought was that this is kind of gross. Uh, <laughs> it's a hell of a lot of money to be spending on a on, on a buyback uh, of this kind of sorts, and and, and kind of like you are thinking to yourself, surely you, you must have something better to do with this kind of money. I would I would have liked to have seen. Shep- I don't mind them doing a buyback per se, but to buy back twenty percent of your stock in it what seems like it's probably going to be a year. It just seems kind of gross to me. Um, But then I suppose it's no different to a a special dividend. This must be the biggest buyback ever, uh, ever announced. I don't think I've ever seen anything of this kind of, this kind of scale. And yet, I didn't realize Chevron was as big as it was because when I saw the buyback was 75 billion, I thought they must be nearly taking themselves private. But like you say, it's <laughs> 20, 20% of the company, whilst still a lot, um, mm. you know, it's kind of incredible. I, I just makes you think like even in the face of some pretty poor oil prices, there's going to be a hell of a lot of buying pressure from inside of Chevron this year. So it's, I hate to say it, but it's almost like you can't lose. Mm. i got chevron wise
0: are they are they putting much capex into renewable and stuff like that because that's the thing that's taking the cap you know it's taking the earnings and the cash flow from shell and bp and total you know they're all trying to do this renewable thing but i i think chevron while it's um uh what's the other one exxon as well uh they're two american oil companies Uh and they don't seem to want they've basically put a middle finger up still to um renewable energy so i don't think they are putting the capex in and they're just reaping the rewards it might be a very good long-term sort of play i mean very very long term it means that they're eventually just going to fall apart aren't they but uh uh, short to medium term it's very strong it's going to do a lot for the share
2: price right i would think so i quite like this buyback for what it was uh, painted out to be anyway i thought it was probably the surest way that they could do something to reward their shareholders and boost their shareholders going mm-hmm. forward because i see a lot of their kind of capex stuff that you were referring to from other companies paul was quite speculative i don't know exactly what they've done this quarter because the earnings haven't uh, come out yet and the report hasn't happened but i look back a quarter at the october release and what i was seeing there was sort of smallish stuff some carbon capture operation going on which kind of counts in the sort of greening uh kind of space i guess but mostly what i saw them doing was kind of sticking with what they know here and while this is uh, a kind of hot and fashionable thing buying back stock yes at a highish price but they kind of have the cash lying around at the moment and i'm not sure there's a better use for them for it so thinking about sort of chevron and thinking about the sort of general way that uh companies grow it looks to me like there's sort of five main ways that companies grow right they're either revenue goes up margins get bigger you buy back stock you pay a bigger dividend or your uh, some multiple price earnings multiple price sales multiple whatever it is goes up and in the case of chevron I'm not sure that I see huge amounts of that happening over the very long term in most cases. So revenue, if you look at them, they tend to go up and down a little bit, right? They're mostly driven by the price of, uh, price of oil because they're an integrated oil company. So they do both the upstream and the downstream bit, i.e. The pulling it out of the ground and shoving it in a pipe bit and uh, turning it into jet fuel and diesel and gasoline and uh, stuff like that. Uh, bit but they are pretty much when i looked at their last report about 85 percent of their earnings comes from the upstream bit so the finding the oil bit and the getting it out the ground bit and about 15 percent comes from the breaking it up into products that kind of uh, finished products if you like uh bit so that means what they want is higher prices for oil i'm not sure i th- i'm not quite sure where i see those going at the moment it feels like recently they've had a big run on these kind of um things and i guess that will have given them a load of extra cash buying back stock there looks to me like and they have pushed a dividend up as well in fairness to them it looks to me like buying back stock and pushing up the dividend is going to be the way that this company adds value for its shareholders rather than steady revenue growth or margin expansion Uh, they're trading at a price earnings ratio of 10 ish when i looked earlier today although obviously that stock is up because i looked before the open um I sort of think that's probably the most intelligent thing they can do for them uh, for the time being.
1: I just um, piqued my interest, Paul, when you said um, I don't know if they do any other kind of investment. It doesn't look like they do an awful lot of green energy themselves, but no. um, they've got a couple of future energy funds. Uh, one was launched in 2018, which has 20 companies in it, and they've just launched a second one, which is, uh, which is called Future Energy Fund 2. Um, they launched that in uh, early 2021. I wonder how much they spent on that branding, but uh, it looks like it's got low carbon <laughs> technology. So a couple over here, in here that you probably might have heard of is uh, carbon charge,
0: carbon, catch, carbon yeah, capture, would be carbon capture, carbon clean, one,
1: yeah. which is the one that jumped out to me. Is yeah. charge charge point, uh, Zap They're Energy. Right, uh, and then there's a few here in IT and digitalization, which I I must admit there's none of these that are particularly jumping out at me, and then they've got a little oil and glass and sort of um, exploratory portfolio in here as well. So... Uh, pretty interesting. They've, they're even doing um, incubations also for young sort of carbon capture or green energy companies. They can come and work in a part of Chevron, use the facilities, and obviously uh, uh, for free, obviously, while they help develop their ideas. So it looks like Chevron are having a good... I realise at the end of this they've branded themselves as the Human Energy Company, which must, that must drive <laughs> Greenpeace absolutely wild. But um, Yeah, it looks like rather than do it this, It's the cent way, isn't it? Rather than do it themselves, they'll just take a chunk of everybody and let them sort it which you know i think that's i that probably is my favorite way of people doing things because i think you end up with sort of like shell trying to repurpose petrol stations into charging points and you think i don't know if this is going to work or not because i like it takes me half an hour to charge my car and i don't want to spend that in a shell
0: (laughs) yeah it's uh, it's uh, it's an interesting way though can can you imagine a 78 billion dollar dividend just like a special dividend that's your wet Uh, dream in it paul (laughs) <laughs> it'd just be it' just be like how much it would send the stock price down as well it's just ridiculous oh, it would be so funny um i don't think we've got many much more i was hoping to see the uh, the earnings come out but i can't actually tell when they're going to come out i was going to give it one last re- refresh on cnbc to see if anything's come out yet but it hasn't so um we'll we'll move on i think asml is a good one next.
1: Yeah, so uh, I've got the figures. Uh, I haven't actually listened to the earnings call yet, although I have uh, scanned the transcripts. So I've got one point on that, but I'll go through the figures and then I'll pass over to um, Paul. So this is um, so nice. this is fourth quarter and I think it's uh, full year as well. So... Um, Q4 net sales was 6.4 billion euros with a gross margin of 51.5% leading to net income of 1.8 billion euros. Uh, Quarterly net bookings uh, in Q4 was 6.3 billion euros of which 3.4 billion is the newer model. Um, 2022 net sales of 21.2 billion, gross margin of 50 and percent, net income of 5.6 billion. So, lots of that getting to the bottom line. ASML give guidance. They thought net sales were going to grow about 25 percent compared to 2022. So, still strong. Big story. Um, yeah. Expects Q1 2023 net sales between 6.1 billion and 6.5 billion. They think gross margin will be between 49 and 50. And the value of fast shipments. This is something we've spoken of before. Basically, they they ship the product uh, before testing it and test it actually in situ because there's no point testing something it breaking in transit and then you having to repair it anywhere. Um, they reckon that's going to be around 3.1 billion in 2023. And their dividend poll. If you're interested in that, five euros eighty per share. It's about five right. and a half percent five increase. Percent? Yeah, five. Yeah, percent. five and a half. So yeah, all looked really, really good to me. Uh nothing I, I mean, I wasn't expecting the bookings to grow at that kind of pace. I thought, well, from from what we from what you hear in all the other earnings calls of the semis, I was expecting bookings to have fallen. They haven't fallen. ASML looks really, really strong. What was in the earnings call? Incredible.
0: Well, I, I think I messaged you guys, didn't I? I said this doesn't feel like a normal earnings call. It feels more like a podcast because the the questions hmm. were less on, you know, how are we going to see the margin growth? How are we going to do the, you know, and, and a lot, a lot about the numbers. Are, uh, you know, are we seeing strong growth in EUV compared to DUV and and all that? It, it, those those weren't the questions, um, which was really really interesting because that means the analysts just believe that this thing is going to continue grow at whatever pace that SMOS. Say good things and bad things in there, but um, yeah, there's a lot more about the politics because everyone's very interested in case anybody doesn't know. ASML is kind of officially banned by the Dutch government through. The U.S. government, who also through the EU government, uh, have basically banned ASML from selling their top line product, the EUV product, to uh, China. Uh, China makes up 15% of its sales. They still sell the DUV product and metrology. Metrology is the measurements of the wafers. they still get to sell that, and fifteen percent of I think it's their revenue comes from comes from China still. So they're still making a big load, but China isn't allowed um, uh, any of the top line EUV products. Everyone seems to believe that's because of military use, but that's somebody said um, the CEO said Peter Winnick Winnick Winning. I can't remember his name. I just call him Peter Winning because that's what his company seems to do. Um, he uh, got rid of this whole military hardware type thing. He said, look, the top chips aren't in military hardware. They need to be more robust. They need to last longer and they don't necessarily need to be as fast. What we're trying, what they're trying to stop is cyber wars and 5g and, uh, AI in China from developing from these big EUV EUV things. So I've got lots of notes that that came out from this and I thought it was really, really interesting. They, uh, he was very keen to say that his business is not political. Uh, Uh, They deal in their business and not politics. They go over to educate uh, politicians on semiconductors because he says 10 years ago, politicians didn't uh, didn't have a clue what semiconductors were. And I think he compared it to the oil uh, rush in the 80s, 70s and 80s. And the the idea was that this oil thing was getting bigger and it was always going to be there. It was very abundant. But then it started getting a bit smaller. Uh, emerging markets started to find oil and all of a sudden it became very political and very um very threatening and that is he says that's what they're seeing now they're seeing the growth of semiconductors as a political football and getting very protective over it and he says we just have to live within the means but this is the trend of semiconductors now and he says it's you know it's that important it's as important as oil so uh, i mean that if that's not an investment Case, uh, I I don't know what is really. Um, I've got down here expects twenty five percent increase in sales by the second half. So he sees demand increasing, and this is from um, information they're getting basically on new customers. They've got new customers coming in and customers doubling up on orders because they want to get in the queue. So the queue is that long. They're they're buying again to get at the back of the queue again. And he says. Uh, uh, they have a system where if a customer's moving too slowly or not paying quick enough, or, you know, they decide to pull out for whatever reason, they just pick up that EV system and move it on to the next one. And the next customer picks it up in whatever shape it is, they will take it from there. And they says, we don't care about that. You know, we, if a customer's messing around, we'll just move on to the next one. There's plenty. And uh, that was a big thing as well. You know, it, you know, signifying the demand. I thought this was, uh, it was a very educational podcast style, um, uh, earnings call, which was very interesting. And I thought, and to me, the valuation is high justifiably. I, I've, I took a quick look at the valuation earlier for ASML and, you know, it doesn't look good at this price to buy Unfortunately, I bought last week, which, you know, I was very lucky to buy last week this high you've not got that margin of safety on it but it's still it's an it's an oil company that's the way i see it now it's, it looks like an oil company and that's what oil companies did through the uh through the 70s and 80s mate the-
1: one of the phrases that I have pulled out that uh, from the transcript I read was when Inc was asked, um, "Is he worried about the expectation, uh, the, the recession having a major impact on the um, on their bookings so their future yeah. future orders or future deliveries?" And his response was like uh, assured confidence. He said. The expectation of the duration of a potential recession in the minds of our customers is much, much shorter than the average lead time of one of our machines. <laughs> the order <laughs> backlog will protect <laughs> our income statement. And that's kind of it, isn't yeah. it? Because even the yeah. worst predictions are a short, sharp recession. And, uh, ASML here has, what is it? 60 billion in backlog now. So that's kind of three okay. years of revenue, just under three years yeah. of, of secured revenue. So, um, yeah. I don't, think uh it's in any trouble at the moment i think it's looking like a very healthy business doing very very well
0: they're hiring as well they're one of the few companies that are hiring and not laying off so there's Mm. another thing as well
2: steve why have you never bought it don't know uh to be honest mostly because of price i think mostly because of i've expressed before a little bit of a fear of not quite understanding semiconductors well enough that i feel like i'm not just using words because those are the words that i read but I just had a quick look and it looks like it kind of meets pretty much everything I'd look for in a growth stock. Um, and I don't really like that term. I don't think stocks kind of intrinsically have a born into the growth family or the value True family or value anything investor. else. Um, True value investor. But it has pretty much all the things I described when I was talking about uh, Chevron and ways that your company can grow, right? It's got, as you pointed out, aiming at 25% growth or coming through. I'm looking at its kind of recent history over the last five years and the faster it grows the faster its margin grows which makes it kind of more cash generative. if its dividend has gone up not in a straight line necessarily but up in general and its shares have come down not necessarily in a straight line but down in general so it does most of the things you would expect to kind of drive a, a growth stock along here so if anyone feels that they did know this well enough i kind of wouldn't blame them buying it at these prices steve what is the price of the thing behind you uh,
1: I think when it flips over to it, I think it's about six hundred euros at the moment. But yeah. Paul, you buy the dollar, that'll be about seven hundred dollars, will it? it?
0: Uh, it's six eight four. Just checking very quickly. Six hundred eighty four as a closed today. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's getting close, pushing it. I think I think it's too much. Uh, I think uh, for we're not we're not thinking of. You know, at this point, we're not thinking, oh, is ASML's share price going to go down over the long term? Is it going to go to zero? We're not thinking of it like that. We're thinking of the possible rate of return that comes from it. And for me personally, I think... Uh, very long term, I think. I think of the dividend growth here. You know, I think of the, they're going to continue to pay back to shareholders in, in this sense. And, and uh, I didn't actually check for a share buyback program. I don't. I don't even look for those things in ASML at all. I just want to know about their backlog. I want to know about their um, what the you know a little bit about the politics, but not too much because they clearly uh, <laughs> you know can make money without without needing China. Um, uh, but yeah I think I think you're right I think it's uh it's just a little bit too much to buy here for the possible rate of return going ahead I think there's much more on the market that you can buy here
1: it depends doesn't it because you've got to be careful with this revenue growth because twenty five percent is fine if that happens in perpetuity you're absolutely quids in here but this is a manufacturing company and the more that they get twenty five percent of sales in the more they're going to have to spend on manufacturing and whilst they do that currently at a very good margin. There is the same risks that we had in Amazon overbuilding that you would have in ASML overbuilding should that growth rate ever Mm -hmm. slip back. So it's about how you think about its revenue growth going on. 25% in perpetuity, you think, you know, 25 to 20 or whatever, you're going to do really, really well out of this. If it falls 25 to 10, uh, it might be a different story in terms of valuation. But um I mean if P and G if P and G can hold a twenty five percent uh sorry, twenty five P or thirty two P was it Steve last time we looked mm-hmm. on a, on zero yeah. growth, then ASML is uh, <laughs> arguably a bigger monopoly than them at the moment. So uh yeah. I thought- I
0: saw a podcast the other day saying, oh, it's great. We're in 2023 and the markets are starting to make sense again. They're not fucking starting to make sense again. Yes, fair enough. A lot of uh, companies are coming down based on poor earnings or, uh, you know, you know, job losses and things like that but there's an underlying part to this where some of the safety consumer staple type stocks are just sitting at stupid PEs right now and i think there's going to be another reversion there and that's quite scary for for anyone who's in that dividend investment world i don't think they're they're going to see this coming
1: these these staples tend to not revert to the mean in in a typical fashion though they tend to just do Mm -hmm. nothing for 10 years and let their earnings catch up and (laughs) that's kind of the worry i have with those kind of stocks
0: yeah yeah no, absolutely. A lot of the time, I've seen a lot of people guessing it, and and I think this is a very reasonable way to look at certain stocks, like Costco. Um, Buying below five-year average PE seems to be because historically they sit at a certain PE. I'm not saying it's the only, only thing you should look at. I'm just saying that uh, good times to buy for good margins of safety, as it were. Um, uh, that's a very i use that term very loosely in this situation but a lot of people say five year five below five year average pe seems to be a reasonable place to buy some of these stocks which might not necessarily be a bad bad um bad situation uh, right moving on so i'm just going to refresh the screen to see if chevron's come out yet anything come out no it's just nasdaq up because tesla's up that's basically the headlines right now but we've got microsoft earnings uh, microsoft being that bellwether of the tech giants is the first one to come out big tech needs um Uh, need some help at the moment because as far as we can tell there's only bad news coming out of tech at the moment they're suffering lots of antitrust problems as usual and they're laying off a lot of uh, companies uh, laying off lots of employees which suggests that these companies have grown too fat too quickly and they need to start uh, losing some of, losing some of those costs, and unfortunately, this seems to be in people rather than you know massage parlors and um, pool tables and things like that. They'd rather just get rid of all the people. Um, I've got uh, I've actually got a little piece on that to, towards the end to. To think how that might go and how that might be benefit beneficial for their share price, but uh, Microsoft's earnings came in at two thirty two per share versus two twenty nine per share, so uh, beat on earnings and uh, fifty two seventy five billion uh, x uh, given it's, and it was expected fifty two point nine four, so it missed very slightly on revenue. I think you're going to see that as a trend. Personally, I think that's going to be a trend. you are going to see. Earnings beats probably all the way throughout the year. Earnings beats all the way throughout throughout the year, but revenue slightly falling down uh, as ad spend comes in lower because they're going to make all these cuts. It's going to make the earnings look good and show investors why uh, we invest in them and why it's possible that this share price is still going to go up, even though the, the economic market doesn't look so brilliant. I think that's going to be a big point going forward and. And that would be my ball case for the big tech stocks and Microsoft's the leader here. However, I personally think there's bad, uh, I think I showed this on the discord. Uh, I I think there's bad news in here from a growth point of view, obviously Azure still making 31% margin right now, which is brilliant. But that is, you know, if you look at this graph on CNBC and, it maybe we'll pop it up in, in here when I show it to Steve in that later. But it goes from you know 50% growth in fiscal year 21, quarter three fiscal fiscal year 21, and it's now sitting at 31% growth. So that has gradually decreased over the over the course of the year. But every single other section of Microsoft right now, you know, dynamics and cloud, Office 365. Uh, computers, uh, OEM products, Xbox has all decreased in uh, margin. You know, with you know Xbox at the bottom there, going from three uh, percent margin, uh, minus three percent margin to minus twelve percent margin right now. So every single section of growth is is uh, is slowing. Basically, it's not. It is still growing, obviously. Thirty-one percent is nothing. To, you know, you know, to be shy about, but it it is slowing and that's that's um, that must put a few people's discounted cash flow models into a bit of a a downward spiral there. On the call, we had uh, I think the main reason why uh, Microsoft lost so much in the post market post their earnings is because their outlook just didn't look very good at all. Poor guidance I've got written down here, expecting growth to fall in Azure by another 5%. And in general, cloud and digital spend has all been pulled forward. It's another one of those that, they, you know, they're making this excuse that all of their revenue and their earnings have been pulled forward from 2020 and 2021, and this is what they're end up with here. So it's gonna look bad over the year, but still, I believe that they're going to end up with, you know, I think they're going to end up with good with good earnings here, but poor revenue. My question to you, though, to you guys, and I know you want to bring this out. How come Azure makes 31 percent margin and Tesla is still able to make 28 percent margin on their cars? I don't understand why what, how, how this happens.
1: Well, Tesla's margin is slipping, which was the worrying thing. Uh, I, Tesla's earnings were interesting to me because they, they were a total miss on revenue and a gain on uh, a beat on regulatory credits. So it's a, now we're a, a regulatory credit company, uh, not a car company. <laughs> but um, Microsoft, been. Microsoft for me, was, uh, was an interesting earnings because I think they're a victim of growth pulled forward, which is something we were talking about probably this time last year, that we thought some companies were going to be suffering from growth pull forward, especially from working from home. They're got a big boon out of that uh, and now that's not going uh, that's not going so well um azure um the the section and that was quite interesting that they said um that uh, they'd seen a lot of tech spend in cloud they'd seen that in the in the six months but in december it was a lot more sort of measured uh, there was um definitely people trying to sort of moderate their spend in the cloud which is why azure saw that little tail off uh, in December, still growing at a rapid pace, still a big part of Microsoft business, but it's uh, it's definitely not growing as fast as it was. They actually took the impairment charge, looking through their um, through their um, earnings. Now they took the one point two billion charge for impairment for letting go of ten thousand employees in this as well. So to still be earnings yeah. after taking this impairment charge now is is kind of uh, is kind of pretty good. So. Um, I thought Tesla did fine as Tesla. I thought Microsoft did fine. Sorry, I um, thought they were kind of sandbagging their guidance. I think they're trying to sort of like show you that they, they, that it you know we're going to do a lot worse than they actually are. Um, I was quite impressed with the way the N- sort of Nadella is one of those people I'm perpetually impressed with uh, as a CEO. He seems really sort of cool, calm, and collected. He always seems to have a good grasp of the market, and what he's projecting is essentially, Microsoft to have a steady year, um, possibly Mm -hmm. returning to growth
2: next year, you would assume. Steve, did you listen to it? Uh, I didn't. I was interested in Paul's idea, though, that it's going to be a general trend for missing revenue and beating earnings. I'm trying to put together a sort of biggish picture in my mind of what I'm expecting from big tech. And I think that's another interesting part of it. So what we've been seeing is quite a lot of layoffs, basically, as people try to get their costs under control and their big cost is uh, salaries and wages. And, I would also say stock-based comp, but I'm not sure that's necessarily the reason they're letting people go. This fits together into a picture of growth pulled forward, doesn't it? So a year ago, they needed a load of people to service demand, and now there's not so much demand for uh, their services, products, and so on, that they need fewer people. So you better get rid of those people rather than keep paying them all the time. I don't know in the case of either Microsoft or uh uh, google alphabet whichever exactly where these people are getting lost from what parts of the business they're they're being let go out of well i can but, tell you I yeah, can
0: go- tell <laughs> you that i can't tell you exactly where they where they're being lost from i can tell you a bit about google's but um i don't think that's really relevant for here but i can tell you that they're losing ten mm. thousand. they did actually take on during 2021 40 000 people so is this a drop in the ocean type thing I mean or, or is this just people on TikTok who are t- you know have you made a video about how your day goes at Facebook or Google on TikTok you that was just a that was just an advert for you to get axed that, and I reckon just, those people went first right
1: just to let you know there was a last year there was a, a a lady on there who she was a product manager and she tailored her CV she said I'm tailoring my CV and sending it into Spotify so it is exactly like the Spotify website and the app so she tailored it and she made this beautiful CV that looked like the website even had like buttons that you could click on to go through it and she got the job at Spotify and she was so happy about it she tweeted out all this stuff about how I CV and how she made it, and then she quote tweeted it yesterday. and But I've been fired. Yeah,
2: <laughs> saw Spotify
1: letting people <laughs> go as well. Girl.
0: Poor, girl. <laughs> oh, poor girl. Poor girl. Oh, that's so it's funny when you're detached well. from so it. Good. I
1: mean, if it happens to me, I'll be like, I, I think I have a lot more sympathy. But I feel really detached from these kind of, and I think I feel a little bit sort of like, once I found out that is it Google will let him go of 21 people in the massage department or something like that, I yeah. sort of feel like I, we're I so don't detached know how from true that. Yeah, I, I don't feel know
0: how true
1: that is. If that is true, I feel like we're so detached from reality here. Um, average yeah. salary at Google being three hundred thousand or something like that—it just seems like monstrous to me. Uh, it's three hundred thousand, and you're getting massages. Pay me three hundred thousand pound, you can treat me like as bad as you want. But if I'm getting massages as well, this My is job. promises,
2: promises.
0: It was very interesting. I just wanted to bring in the Tesla thing there because um, the margins don't seem right. The and and. Uh, I th- I was hoping you were going to bring that out. This is the credits, the credits brought the brought the whole thing up a little bit and I um a little bit worried about uh what's been going on there especially with Twitter coming. He's going to have to start paying out of his own pocket for Twitter as well so there's a few there's a few problems there and i just hope people don't get hurt on that one because it looks good it, it, he, they've done a very good job of making it look really good when you go in there's there's just a there's a few dents in there that i don't like the look of that don't show organic growth as it were other than obviously sales 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 did very well i just got one more for you Um this is one of my newer stocks blackstone um and there, there is a reason. This isn't just because I, I wanted to go through them today, and I've, I've just happened on it. But I think it's good bellwether for the stock market in general, and in particular, the um, a, a bit about growth being pulled forward, and a little bit about how investors, the investor mindset, is going at the moment. Because o- overall, the headline that's coming out from Blackstone right now. Um, even though it's 14% up on the week, by the way, uh, earnings have dropped 41% um, ex- uh, with J.P. Morgan actually expecting that they would go up and uh, bring on an overweight rating on that. So 41% earnings fall, uh, but the market still likes it. Now, why why does the market still like it? Well, it, it's all based on growth being pulled forward, but they, they didn't hire and they didn't make any excessive capex or investment to, you know, essentially make the same mistake that the big tech have, have done. So essentially they're seeing less uh, investors um invest in their company and uh, well invest in their REITs and in their funds and that means they're getting less uh fees they call it fee related earnings uh, fe fre um and these uh, these are significantly down based on last year but simply because last year w- or the year before at least was excessively good it's actually come down to exactly even better than where we left it but it is showing that investors are now exiting the market and they're in- exiting for the uh, the safer assets basically particularly with bereet they got a lot of um negative media coverage because they had to halt their uh withdrawals from their company from their clients they set it at two percent and it obviously went over two percent the CEO was very focused on that call, focused on the bad press leading to the share price fall and stated that, you know, were, the media were wrong on this. And it's clearly been shown by Blackship, uh, Blackstone's share price recently. Assets under management were actually up 11 percent. Fees from assets under management management went from 650 billion to 718 billion. So everything inside the company has actually gone up, even though it's showing this negative 40%, 41% in earnings. So there's really good stuff. And and, uh, while it's a 5% withdrawals, uh, which is another big headline that's going on at the moment, Um, that's not net withdrawals because actually inflows were still 43.1 billion. But overall, this is showing that, Investors are fleeing away from real estate, or at least um, private real estate, where they got where they did very well, and maybe even f- flowing into um, REITs or uh, particularly less less risky uh, generated income like treasury bonds and things like that. So it's really showing what the market is sort of thinking about, and places like Blackstone and the other big. Uh, uh, investment fund companies like Vanguard and BlackRock, they're also showing a similar thing as well, but also not showing significant lack in fee generation right now. Nothing compared to previous years anyway.
1: It's always strange to me with private REITs. They are the proverbial cinema where they can house 100 people, but if 100 people wanted to go to the exit at the same time, they, they can't. So you would think that when you're in, investing in something like a, a private REIT, you would, you would sort of have that in mind that – if things are getting tough, you're probably not going to be able to get out. But that doesn't seem to have Mm. been the case with any of the private, sort of, well, the big name private REITs that have a lot of assets under management. they, They must understand that the money that you invest into a private um investment fund or, or REIT like this is going to buy properties, and properties can't be sold at the snap of a finger and and shouldn't very be sold illegal. at the snap of a finger when things aren't going particularly mm-hmm. well. So uh, very strange investor behavior for me, which is kind of like one of the reasons why you have to admire what Kathy has done, because she has managed to, I mean coerce and, uh, <laughs> and confuse um, people who invest into the ARC fund. But the education on 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 their part and the constant communication has kept people in a fund that, you know, last year, if it was anyone else's fund, would have done a hell of a lot worse in uh, in outflows. But, Steve, do you know Blackstone Group? I, I don't know a lot about them, so I, I'm kind of filling gaps here.
2: I know they go under the banner of kind of alternative investments, basically. Uh, uh, it's, yeah, it's so I'm I meant to
0: my my notes are very jumbled so i couldn't you you'll I'll, I'll watch that back later and notice that i just could not keep my head together because my notes were all over the place you in fact the no i'll watch it Yeah, the i've got halfway down my page the interruption introduction to blackstone which says it's no alternative asset management company dealing uh, in different segments like credit hedge funds real estate and private equity and actually i had the uh 10k up in front of me and it said or a 10q even uh up in front of me and it said that a lot of their um earnings were uh fell from the hedge fund um fee related earnings so that will be probably because during a hedge in a hedge fund you will have to pay your fee based on a performance rather than just a set fee so maybe the performance wasn't very good in 2021 for the for the hedge funds and that that means they didn't get as many fees for that it wasn't much it was it was pretty much flat more than anything but it 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 will have lost a lot in fees because again hedge funds can charge a lot more fees for that performance
2: one thing I do know about the Blackstone B REIT, uh, as it's called, is that their CEO was talking on the Barron Streetwise podcast the other weekend I was listening to. And one of the things he said is that where REITs have been struggling quite a bit, because they're basically income animals and higher interest rates, it puts pressure on the returns that they offer... Blackstone has been doing pretty well because I think they are 90 or 95% hedged against higher interest rates. So they're, they should be set to hold mm. up fairly well as rates go up, where, where ordinary rates tend to struggle a bit more, which makes me sort of surprised at the idea everyone's trying to squeeze out of a narrow cinema door here. That that would seem to me to be part of the attraction. Fund,
0: fund investors don't think like that, do they? they set and forget. They're, they're not looking into it. The- they're not looking into the fund they're not they're not going hey you know we're we're alternatively hedged it's it's simply oh i can get a better deal here i'm going to go here instead and and that is basically it but the two things that drew me to blackstone in particular just to leave you with um Actually, you know what? One bad thing, one good thing. One bad thing was the one percent dividend raise, and that is quite small for them, and it's quite small for a dividend raise in in general. Shows that they might have a bit of a tentative view on the next year. But the other thing which shows they might have a tentative view and which is a pretty good thing is that their uh, dry powder and then we had a good discussion about this on the discord with icer investor as to what dry powder actually meant but their dry powder went from 181 billion to 186 billion that means that they've got 186 billion essentially in cash it is in short-term investments but it is cash and it's all generated from um uh, Equity rather than uh, credit, which is one of the theories that was out there. It's uh, it looks like it's all from equity. So they've got 186 billion uh, to spend on poor assets that are going badly during a recession. Uh, what's what's Berkshire Hathaway got in the minute?
2: Uh, in terms of dry powder, yeah, or oh,
0: 160. So
2: I think now. I thought it was 160 that I read last time. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, no, know. So...
1: KKR have got about 120 million uh, billion as well. They're they're the other they're the other Blackstone group. There, I noticed yeah. they've been going around Europe and um, and hoovering up companies left, right, and centre. KKR at the moment. They're they're firmly on my two hard pile, but then I keep picking them up and saying hmm. trying yeah. to get somebody in the Discord to research them for me. And I've I've been yet. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yet unsuccessful but it might be one that i try and dig into myself and by that i mean go, google other people's breakdowns and read them
0: it's an absolute nightmare going through every single sector and going through every single um fund that they've got and seeing right how much they've got and how much they got mm. allocated what's the return and I, I mean i'm not saying i go through every single one individually but i do look generally and go okay everything is on the up but you know that means more people there's more inflows 43 billion of inflows came in um this year that's that's pretty good that's a lot of that's a lot of uh uh, assets Mm -hmm. under management and also a lot of fee related earnings so there's the this positive there i think they're going to make a lot of investments that are going to pay off in the very long term obviously 186 billion also means they've got a lot of liquidity just in case that narrow door gets a little bit narrower and um i i think personally i liked it there i think but i do think there's a tentative um thing going over there um 14 up on the week since i bought it so um i got very lucky i think based on what I thought the negative news on the market had had done to this company I should really be selling it. To be honest with you, but um, no, we'll keep it. We'll see. We'll see how it goes, and we'll we'll keep that four or percent dividend going and see what happens. But yeah, I, what do you think about that for the for the market? Um, obviously, with treasury yields now kind of a little bit flat, do you think people are going to move over? Have you personally seen this, in particularly in the Discord? Have you seen people moving from Stocks to other investments?
2: No, I've been looking at other investments, specifically bonds, but only for things that I wouldn't really be using stocks for anyway, like um, stuff that I need to use to pay a tax bill later in the year or something along those lines. Which uh, you going treasuries I, and gilts or corporate? Cool uh, depends a bit on what looks like it will expire at the right time. So I've only got a few months, so it might be short-term treasuries. To be honest. But um, I I haven't yet been drawn to going the other way. I am looking at the only bond investing site that I, I normally look at, which is Wise Alpha. They are getting more and more stuff in there, and they're getting some sort of decent, what I would consider to be decent quality stuff. So there's Apple bonds that you can buy. The return on them isn't huge. We might talk a little about about bond investing in a future kind of video because there are some that you can get a decent kind of yield to maturity, but that maturity is quite a long way away. So nothing quite yeah. yet has caught my attention. But oh, I, I remember,
0: I remember you coming to me with a Netflix bond when they were junk bond rated uh, at like eleven percent or something silly. i should have bought mm-hmm. into that, shouldn't we? <laughs> uh, like mm. knowing what you know now, wow, what
2: an awesome bond that would have been to buy. Um, Okay, and that's our show. Thanks very much for listening. Interesting stuff from earnings, interesting stuff from markets, and interesting stuff from ICES, or at least what's left of them. Uh, Join us next week when we'll be talking about probably more earnings. I can see that Intel, with its really low PE, has just mean reverted a little bit. But we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.